As Jesus passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Father, we, we ask, Lord, that you would open up your word, that we would understand what it, what it means to follow you to be with you, to walk with you, to fail you, to have victories, to cry, to laugh with you, that we would truly know your will and that we would put all our efforts into accomplishing your will, knowing that you have our back. You'll take care of everything that needs to be taken care of. Our family, our friends, our career. I ask Holy Spirit that you would penetrate these words into the heart of every person here tonight, today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we can all talk about doing God's will. But doing his will... It's a lot harder than understanding his will. And understanding his will is very hard. Because you could be doing one thing, I could be doing something, and Larry could be right next to me doing the same thing. And we all look good, but I could not be doing God's will while Larry is doing God's will. So it's not so much what you're doing, it's who sent you to do it that matters. So we look at the action, though. what are we doing? Oh, it's gotta be God. Well, no, no. It could be a great thing you're doing, but is it God's will for your life? So we're gonna take our, our time learning about that. Uh, doing will means basically uh, submitting your will, and that is a challenge. That's round one. Challenge. I'm going to take what I want. And anybody have any aspirations? Now imagine, if your aspiration is not God's will, would you give it up? But I'm doing a good thing, God. I'm, I'm, I got this, and you know, I'm really helping people. And, and it's even, you know, even uh, people, Christians, I'm helping. I, and we, we, can, we can begin to lay down the resume, but the reality is, if God says, but that's not my will for you, would we be willing to submit our will? You have to be able to follow orders. Uh, years ago, I went to London, and um, they have these guards out there. You, 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 all, you all see them in the picture, and they have the, 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 the bear, it's a real bear, black bear hat, big tall one. And I walked up to him, and you know, you have to. You walk by me, and the guy don't move. He walk, and he don't move. He try to see if he move. He just, come on, come on, come on, come on, your mama. He don't move. You know, you watch him. I go, man, that's amazing. It's interesting. So I was at the, was at the gate, right? And I just, we didn't plan it, you know, because every year, every month, they have a, the, all the guards, you know, hundreds, the whole battalion come out there. But every day, every day, so many hours, they have a couple of guards that are standing at the front of the, of the castle, and they change guards. 
So it got me thinking, like, wow, these are heavy. These are elite soldiers. They have guarded the queen and the king uh, since the reign of Henry VII. Right? And he made uh, the royal bodyguard a permanent institution. And this has spanned over a 520-year history. Sometimes we don't understand because in the United States we think we're bad and we are a superpower, but we've only been around a little while. So 520, over this 520 years of history, they, they, they established these, these guards. The guard regiment, they were formed, and they provided not only just the guard the gate, but they were the bodyguards of the sovereign, right? Just like we have in the United States, we have our secret service, right? But this is the bodyguard. And they, they were raised in 1656 and to, to protect uh, King Charles. So now you have guards that guard the castle. Now you have perfect bodyguards, and they, they, they were raised just to guard the king. Comprised of highly trained soldiers, officers, it is amongst the oldest units in the British Army. They fought in every war with great distinction since the 17th century. 17th century. Now we're like, I mean, think about what I'm saying. It's a long time ago. These are the guards. And they had orders. What, what caught my attention was this, that their orders have not changed. The same orders they were given, one 500, uh, over 500 years earlier, and the other one in the 17th century, they have not changed. Their orders have not changed. They do the same thing every day of every year. Amazing thing. Right? See, there's so much to understand and much to discover along the process, but there's many difficulties that you're going to face in, when you get your orders and you have to do God's will. People say, why do you do what you do? Well, I, I, I remember when I came in, I received orders. I was 25. When I walked in the door, I knew. I go, okay, this is where I'm going to be. So when I walked in that door, I got orders. Right? And so and we, we understand, we look at the world, we live in a world that we can see, we can touch, we want to control. This is what we want. We like this, right? The life of faith means this. We have to look at the world differently. The perspective. There's really two ways of looking at the world. You have the horizontal look, our view, horizontally, because we look at the world from our view, it's horizontal. That's how we look at the world. But then there's the vertical world. When you walk in faith, you have to begin to look at the world vertically. You know, you, you got to stop looking like this and start looking like this. Because God looks at the world vertically, right? It's the vertical perspective that is difficult for us. See, and the vertical perspective is, is, is strange because in that perspective, there's no difference in people. When God looks down from heaven, right, Johnny is the same size as Larry. No difference. Hmm? See, it's the top of their heads. It's a, it's a completely different uh, perspective. So when you're talking about walking with God's will, it's that perspective that we have the difficulty with. Submitting to that will. Bowing to God's decreed will. So we have to realize first, we, we cannot know God's plan in advance. Obstacle number two. You cannot, you will not, 
And you can never know God's plan in advance. Because once you begin to know God's plan, quote unquote, in advance, it's no longer his plan. It becomes yours. Jesus says, I don't, you want to follow me? I didn't have a place to sleep or a rock to put my head on. That's the model that most American Christians reject. Because, you know, brother needs to know where he's going. I need an itinerary. Don't give me no surprises. Right? It's a whole different perspective. See, we like to see it. And I go, orders. See, and this is what keeps me, because I'm just like anybody else. Have aspirations, right? Have dreams and goals. And I've, I've done a lot of things in between, right, since I got my orders. Remember, when I got my orders, it was very simple. I will go before you, and I will level the mountains. I will break down the gates of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. I will give you treasures of darkness, riches stored in secret places, so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. First order I got. Wow, that's heavy. The second order I got is enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch the tur- curtain wide. Hold, do not hold back. Lengthen your cord. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right, to the left. Your descendants, the Loma Seven, will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. See, I got orders a long time ago. So nothing changed. I'm still doing it. Now, along the route, I've done a lot of other things. Got a bachelor's, two masters, a doctoral degree. Okay? But those things, if they didn't help me with my orders, then they were no good to me. Here's people get orders, they walk into Victoria to get orders, and all of a sudden their orders change. My friend, there's a difference between God's will, perfect will, and God's permissive will. Orders from the Lord don't change. We change. That's why I opened up with those soldiers. Amen? See, these are our founding documents, Victor Outreach. Our declaration of independence, our constitution. Huh? Because he is the Lord, there's no other besides him. There's no God, and he will promise to gird you. Though I have not known him, he has promised that he knows me. That men, though men may, 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 may come against me, he will help me. There is no one besides the Lord, for he is God and there is no other. I understand that. We lack the perspective to understand God's why God does what he does. Huh? And this is why I, I argue with him. Anybody argue with God? Okay, two of you are arguing, the rest of you are lying. We always say, show us your plan. Tell us what to do. The changing of the guard ceremony was originally took place in the Palace of Whit Hall, which is, in the, which is a sovereign's residence in London in 1689. Therefore, when the guard was moved to St. James Palace, the ceremony took place there. They moved it. After Queen Victoria, if you know history, moved it into Buckingham Palace, that's where it's at now, in 1837, the Queen's guard remained at St. James Palace with a detachment guarding Buckingham Palace, as it still does today. 
The main ceremony is conducted in Buckingham Palace. The strength of the guard is governed by the queen's presence. In other words, when the queen comes, they're all there. If the queen's not there, maybe just the, the, the prince or the princess, well, they have maybe a third of them. But when the queen, you know when the queen's there because they're loaded. And they're not holding bow and arrows anymore. They got, plop. It looks cool, man. They're loaded, locked and loaded like, oh, check this place out. The queen is in the house. Right? Now the queen residence, the, the numbers increase, so the guards increase. What am I saying? They got those orders when? 520 years ago. And they've been doing the same thing. See, Americans don't understand that because Americans change their mind like they change their clothes. Americans change their desires as they watch a TV, a TV commercial. Americans change their, their spouses like they change their underwear. Did I say that? I did. That's the American way. And it has to be acceptable because of what a preacher like me says, that I don't understand, and I'm one, I don't like Victor Rogers, Victor Rogers, he offended me. I ain't trying to offend nobody. I'm trying to help you. Because you can't do nothing about the past. But God will forgive your past. But you surely can do something about tomorrow. So I'm trying to take you into your tomorrow. Into your never before. I like what Mondo says. Right? You, you, everything you've done does not, cannot work in what you don't know. And that's what we think. We think... If, well, if I take everything I've done into my never before, into what I don't know, it'll be okay. No, whoa, it doesn't work there. Because if you do that, then nothing changes. That's why people's lives never change. Because they take everything they've always done and bring it with them to their future. God's will. So when will we allow God to lead? Is it his right to shape our lives as he chooses? When we release our life to God, when we uh, leave this comfortable life of ours, then what happens? We step into the unknown, but we actually step into God's overflow. The Bible talks about God's overflow. Overflow is an abundance. Overflow is a prosperity. Overflow is seeing things happen that no one has seen. But do we want that? In our minds, in our, in our curiosity, in our hopes and maybe dreams, we say, yeah, I want that. Until God says, okay, then you need to follow me. Follow me. He goes, Matthew, you're a tax collector. It's April 15th. You're going to make good money right now, Holmes. Leave it. Follow me. Now, if he was an American tax collector, he goes, can I wait till the April 16th? Till I set all my invoices out? That's an American way. Right? Can we, you know, God, can we have a negotiate? I'll I, not only give you 10%, I'll give you 20%. You know, because brother's going to make some do re me as if God needs that. Hey, follow me. Quick, he said it, he just followed him. Left everything. H&R Block. Left it on the block. Huh? So, so there's some very important aspects of his decreed will. It's absolute. There's no negotiating. It's unchangeable. It's unconditional. Works in perfect and harmony with his nature. It's always good and right. Will be strategic 
in accomplishing his purpose, not your purpose. That's where the rub comes in. Because we want God's will to accomplish our purpose. Don't you love me, God? His will is geared to cover his purpose. Now, believe, and, and I'm saying this when some people say, man, that's heavy. I don't, I don't know about that. Listen, as if God wants to harm you. God doesn't want to harm you. He has plans to prosper you, to give you hope and so much more. It's just that you don't know what it is. We would rather stay with what we know because you're confident. You control it. You do it. You've done it. You've got your education. You got your career. You got hired. You did this. And you want me to let this go? That's the devil. As if Matthew was being called by the devil to leave his job quick way. Now, I'm not saying everyone's going to, God's going to tell you, leave your job. He probably, 99% probably won't. But if he did, would you? Don't say yes. Believe me, if you said yes, you're in trouble. It's best to say, I don't know. That's a heavy one. Because if you say yes, he'll call you on it. He'll call you. Right? You know how to gamble. Don't gamble with God. See, his will will morally reflect his character. 828, Romans 828 reads, and we know, this is Paul speaking, he knows. We have to learn to know. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. And most people stop there. We know that God works good to those people who love God. Doesn't that sound good? That's, that, that's, a, that's a half a truth and a full lie. Why? Because the sentence has a comma. And even if you got an F in English, you know a comma means you ain't over yet. After the comma says, to those. Here, all of a sudden, Roman begins to, uh, uh, the book of Romans and Paul begins to distinguish and qualify the things that will work good or the people to who the things, all things will work good. He qualifies. He said, to those who are called according to his purpose. So God doesn't work out the good to people. He works out the good to those, to say to those, so I want to make sure you're with me now. Who are called according to his purpose. To whose purpose? purpose. To your career? To whose purpose? purpose? He works all things out to good. All things. That's all is a big word. All is probably the biggest word in the English language. All. There is nothing bigger than all. All things. To those. Now the key to this is we have to be sure we're one of the those. Look at your neighbor and go, are you a those? <laughs> see, as you look to your past, the good and the bad, you'll see a perfect trail of God's decreed, decreed will. Even though you may think you're in charge of your life, that truth couldn't be further uh, from the truth, rather. That thought couldn't be further from the truth. God has a plan. No one can stop it or surprise him. Even the bad things that happen to you, the ones inconsistent with God's holiness, are part of his plan. How could that be? I don't know how it could be. I'm not God. 
I just know it took a lot of devil in me to get me to my senses to allow God to bring the Christ in me out. Do I understand? Of course not. But I know it's part of it. Satan went to hell and heaven. He stood, matter of fact, he stood at the throne of heaven having a conversation with God. Now, I don't know how Satan got in the throne of heaven, but he was there. You know, believe me, if, you, if, if the, the, the vampire come get you the cross, I don't, I don't think that works. You're going to be at lunch. Amen. If the devil can go to, go to heaven, that cross ain't going to help you. Amen. I don't, even, I don't care if you've been a Catholic and did all kinds of chikadena, big chains. That doesn't matter. That's all fallacy. No, we rejoice. And here's the deal. You have to rejoice. You've got to be happy that God has a permissive will. What am I saying? Because if you got out of his will and God wanted to, he could just kill you. Yeah, you're no good. Next. But he doesn't do that. Thank, say, thank God for his permissive will. Because I would dare say 85, 95% of Christians are in God's permissive will. Why? Because he's patient. He's waiting to get them in line, get them where they're supposed to be. Not where they want to be. Right? Those are the, the I was talking to a brother, those are the, the rounds in between. You, you, you know, you have round one, a championship round, 12 round fight, right? 12 run, round fight. All that permissive still and ta ta ta, fighting and falling, scripting aids. That's the first. 10 rounds. And God allows you to get knocked down, get back up, knocked down, get back up. That's the first 10 rounds. But eventually, when you get into the championship rounds, there's no time for falling no more. Yeah. You, know, because, you know, people who know they're going to fall love that. Oh, I'm so glad God will pick me when he fall. No, no, no. But people who are in the championship round, they know there ain't no falling no more. This is a championship round. Right. If you fall in the championship round, you just may not get back up. Yeah. Only those who want to fall like that scripture. Huh? Because there's got to come a time that you won't fall. That you won't backslide. That you won't fall for it. So those people want to want that little out. You ain't boxing. You don't know what a fight is. Permissible. Now I know some things he allows to happen. He does. Huh? I was talking about Joe, right? Job 1.12, they said, they said, the Lord said to Satan. Man, I, I, just, I think about that, you know. Can you imagine Jesus and Satan up here right now having a conversation? And they were talking. You would think Jesus would just knock him out. You know what I mean? Just get him. Just get him. knee him, you know. Boom. WF, body slammer. But he didn't. He just had a conversation. Behold, all that he has, talking about Job, is in your power. So now, I've got to understand, the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is now in your power. Just don't put forth your hand on him. Just don't kill him. Wow. God's permissive will. God's permissive will. Now, let, let, let me let you in on something. Don't ever pray to be Job. Don't ever even hint at wanting to be Job. Oh, Job went through it. Don't ever even compare yourself to Job. I made that mistake. Right, Deborah? My wife says, you're never preaching about Job again. I was on a, I was on a Job. Uh, uh, I was doing a, a sermon, uh, expository sermons on, on the book of Job. When I went to the hospital for 40 days and almost died. 
Nikki comes to me. Not only does he go to Nikki Anthony's wedding, he went to what you mean there in my, my hospital room. Third day, they didn't know what's wrong with me. Albert, you know, he said, Hey, Nikki, you think the devil wanted to kill you? I go, Yeah. He goes, Me too. <laughs> he goes, the devil, told, the devil wanted to kill you. He goes, The Lord told me the devil wanted to kill you, but he can't have you. Yeah. Go ahead, give the Lord a hand of praise. And I was just uh, having that conversation with God about that very thing, and Nikki confirms it. I said, oh my goodness, now you're scaring me. For God's permissive will. Right? There was a purpose behind it. There's a purpose. So you don't go through, when you're walking with God, you don't go through things just because God is bored. There is a purpose. Why do you think I endure? Endure. I, I think God let me go through that, and because I, I have to endure. Cause let me, because you know what? I, Victory Outreach Colorado Springs. The people that God has sent me. I now, when I say that, I don't mean in general the people, but uh, uh, I love the homes, the people in the rehabs, the people they have sent me. And I say this, I don't know how to say it without trying to sound rude. but have um, challenged me. Can I say it like that? That's pretty good, right? That's better than saying, man, God sent me some idiots. You know, I, I can't say that. They have challenged me. Right? Why? I, I don't know why God does it, but I do know why. It helps in knowing that when I was almost dying, I was praying for a dozen of those so I have something to live for. Two dozen so I have something to fight for. Three dozen, huh? So, so I, I can have something to, to do for the Lord. I was. They didn't seem so bad. Nothing seems so bad when you're dying. God has a purpose. See, another aspect of his permissive will is found in his patience with people who do evil. We all know somebody who's no good and lying. And I especially, you know, I tell people this all the time. You know, if you want to do and run game and get loaded, do all that stuff, don't do it in Victor Arch because everybody knows it and you think nobody knows it. Go, go to the Presbyterian, you can fool them, but you can't fool us. You can't, man. We know dope fiends. We know each other. It's not, we're, we're patient. It's not we're stupid, we're patient. We're hoping that you, you, you come clean. Remember, I'm trying to get you to the championship rounds. We're, we're only in round three. With somebody just round two, you think you're fighting bad. We're, we're, we're barely in round one. You weren't in round one, you all got beat up already. We're trying to get you to the championship rounds. Amen? Amen? No, some want immediate revenge, whereas God waits for all to repent. Okay? Evildoers, gaming, jiving, conniving. I welcome. Come to Vicarage. We're patient. Why? Because we don't want vengeance. We're patient enough to watch God move in your life, let you go through what you go through. If you got to get beat up, get beat up. If you got to get burnt, get burnt. Whatever it takes to get you right and say, stop doing what you're doing. We're, we're, we're patient. This pastor's patient. I'll wait. And when you're ready, I'll help you. I promise. I commit to you. I'll give you everything I got to help you. That's why I'm here. That's my purpose. That's God's will. 
for my life. See, God's perfect will supersedes his permissive will. Hmm? See, God can even, this is, now this is a strange one, God can even use our sin to accomplish his purpose. He can use anything. He used a mule. All right? He can use you. So when you think you're bad and God is using you, remember this. You're just as good as a donkey. Huh? Jesus is calling us to reevaluate how, how we're spending our time. He wants us to evaluate how we're spending our lives. How are we spending our careers? What are we really doing? Jesus is telling us to break down what we do for a living and really focus on what we do for God. That doesn't mean you stop. No, no. He wants you to value. What are you doing for your, for your living? What are you doing for your life? And what are you doing to serve God? You got to look at it. Perhaps Jesus is saying or crying out for us for, for some time with him, for some talents from him, for some treasures from him, to build a business for him. We don't know, so that you can have some brains to have wealth creation. That may one, but we don't know. But we do know this. Whatever you have, it's got to be given to God. Amen. That's God's will. And then you work it out. And initially, everybody's in God's permissive will. Because he's trying to get you to the championship rounds. So we certainly can serve God wherever we are. But to live in the overflow, to live in, 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 in where, the, where the water is the deepest, you got to get in the middle. The water is not deepest on the edge. Because most Christians want to get to church and they go, Ooh, the water's so nice. They're splashing. No, no, no. God don't want you to splash water. He wants you to get in, get in the river. Jump in the Oh, yeah, I come in, but I go real quick because I don't want to get too deep, you know, because if I get too deep, they might want me to become a holy roller. You're right, darn, don't even want you to be a holy roller. Better than being the devil. Hmm? Get in the middle of God's will. Learn how to submit. See, discovering the power of submitting to God's will. There's power in submitting to God's will. And that's how he reveals his will. Scripture identifies many commands and directives. It shows us right and wrong behaviors. It also discloses to some of many unconventional ways that God will reveal his will to you. God is going to show you. And there's no reason why no one should not know God's will. The only reason why people don't know God's will, because they don't want to. They don't want to. They come to church and they go, la, 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 la. how you doing? Bless, bless, I'm blessed, I'm blessed, you're blessed, I'm blessed. Oh, he's going to speak on God's will in the next seven weeks. I ain't coming. Why? Because they really don't want to know God's will. They like their will. They want to do their thing. Huh? You're the Isaac brothers all over again, right? The Isaac brothers, you know the Isaac brothers, right? It's your thing. Do what you want to do. I can't tell you who to flock it to, right? You're not the Isley brothers. It's not your thing. If you're a Christian, it's God's thing. It's his will, not your will. So, so you know, he'll know. I mean, come on. We look at the Bible, and he wanted people to know God's will. He, he split the Red Sea, right? For Gideon, he gave him a fleece. Right? For, for Lazarus, he raised Lazarus from dead. I mean, God has a peculiar way to let you know his will. He even can deliver a drug addict or a prostitute. He can even give you back your dignity. That's what God, God will do it. 
So well, the problem is when he reveals it to you, what do you do with it? Take it for granted? Go back and do it again because now you're clean and the high's a little better? Or he can give you a vision or a dream. That's how he spoke to Abraham, Joseph, and Peter, a vision or a dream. God gave me a dream and a vision. Gave me the vision that God gave to Parasoni to reach every inner city of the world. That's a vision. But he also gave me dreams. Amen. Dreams. To travel the world, to preach to people, baptize them, lead them to the Lord, to make leaders across the globe. That's my dream. Mm. So God will speak to you if you really want to know it. Seeking God's will. See, there's a couple of things you need to do if you're going to actually seek his will. A couple of things. First, you must be a child of God. If you're not a child of God, then you'll never find it. In fact, if you think you found it, you'll never get to do, do it. First, you've got to be a child of God. Not, not God's creation, because people say, well, God loves us all. Yes, he does, he does, but no, he doesn't give everybody his will. You have first, you, you got to be a child of God. Second thing, you must be wise. Wise. Not a wise guy, but wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. See, for us to do what we do at times when nobody's looking, means we have to increase our fear quotient of the Lord. And I say that for us, because I'm including all of us. Because we don't have the proper fear quotient, and depending upon your fear quotient, will, will tell me how far you're willing to sin and what you're willing to do. The more fear, the less you're willing to do. You'll still do some stuff, but you ain't going to do the big stuff because you're afraid of the Lord. Guess what? You are wise. But you know those people, you know those, I said those fools, those people who just do some stupid stuff, they have a very low fear quotient of the Lord. They don't fear the Lord. So right now I pray that you, God will increase your fear of him. Why? Because he's God and you're not. Third thing, you must desire to do God's will. If you don't want it more than life, listen, I want to do God's will more than life. I want to do God's will more than I love my wife. I want to do God's will more than I love my children. I want to do God's will more than anything. Why? Because I know if I do that, God will take care of the ones I love. God will bless the ones I care about. God will take care of it. So I have to trust that if I do everything for him, he's going to take care of all this for me. And I do. I always will. You must be willing to wait for God. Just wait. That's ooh. Okay, now you're ready for God's will. Let's say, assume that. You're ready for God's will. You're studying. You desire it. And are you ready? I'm ready, coach. Put me in. Are you desire? Yeah, coach. I'm ready to go. Okay, wait. Huh? Wait. When? I don't know. Five years, maybe, maybe ten. Ten? I want to do it now. No, you're not right. The fact that you want to do it now, first of all, you're dumb, and secondly, you don't know what you're talking about. Wait. Why? Because there's a, there's a testing period. You know, there's something about cooking a sauce. Anybody ever cook sauce? Now, 
If you're like these, these fake wannabe millennial generation people who get a can and pour it into a pot and turn the fire on and watch it boil, then you ain't cooking sauce. But if you're cooking sauce, you get right, you get right down to the, to the main ingredients. You, you might put a little bit of olive oil on the bottom of the pan and get hot. Then you take some fresh garlic. You chop it up. Then you get the sage. You get all your herbs. You kind of roast it in there. Yeah. Right? Then you get your, your tomatoes. You really period up. You get fresh tomatoes, not that, not, not, not that canned stuff. You know what I'm talking about? And you put it in there. And so what do you got to do with that once you get it all together? Wait. And the longer it cooks at low heat all day long, you walk into the house, heaven, I'm in heaven. You just smell it. Right? But you wait. And then you wait. And when you think it's ready, you go, no, let me wait. That sauce. See, God wants to make sauce like that. Not this open the can. Heat it up. Here, honey, I love you. Or worse. Or there's even worse than that now. Now they go to the Now, this is taking so long. I've got to wait a minute and a half to eat this chemical-infested ramen. I wish they had a way to make it faster. See, all that is contrary to God. Wait. Get ready. Wait. Wait. But I want to do God's will. Wait. But I want to do it now. Wait. And so in the waiting process, most people backslide. In that waiting process, they have all the skills, all the talent. Ooh, they're doing good. You know, she's doing great. She's doing wonderful. Then Lance Romance comes and gone. Or vice versa. He's doing great. She's doing this. And Scary Sally comes in. The waiting process is a very important process. Wait for God's will. We're talking about God's will, right? Huh. See, with these qualities ruling our lives, we're ready to seek God's direction. Huh. Ready. Huh. That urgency that you have, God brings to you. I'm taking longer than I should. I'm going to end with this. I promise. What I'm talking about is a crisis of belief. I said this years ago. In that process... Right? As God is preparing you for the call, and the closer you get, the more critical your belief becomes. So you're going to come to a point where situations, life, storms, whatever it is, it could be a lot of things. It, you know, it could be spouse, it could be career, it could be, for everybody it's different, but there's going to come a point in everyone's life you're going to have to cross this crisis of belief. Because if, if you don't cross it well with, with the right, right pressure, right, it won't cook right. You have to cross this chasm, a crisis of belief. Hmm? The Bible, the Holy Spirit, wise counselors will assist you to get through this crisis of belief. But this is all yours. What am I talking about? That point of choice 
where your faith and action join together. Huh? See, where, where your talk equals your walk. Right? Because I used to talk big stuff when I didn't know any better. I'm going to go, well, I want to go preach to God from these, these ghettos all over. And I would talk, I was, you know, running the, the, the discipleship home and all the guys, and we would talk, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, we're going to do this. And also we said, okay. Then my crisis of belief came. Do you want to give everything up? Do you want to put aside all your dreams to do what you were talking about? Ooh. Right, Jose? Jose, Larry, they were there with me. I thought, oh, man, that's too heavy. But then, I, you, know, you, you know, pride in the right way kind of helps you if you flip around. Because I was like this. I go, man, I was talking big neck. Never by myself now, talking all this stuff. And my problem, I talked it out loud. Like, yeah, we're going to go out here and preach the gospel. And we're going to do this. And we're going to do this. And now it's time to do it. I go, darn it. I don't open my big mouth. Come on now, anybody with me? You understand? I said, man, I didn't open my big mouth. And it was God used that pride in me to say, I got to go now. And I stepped. It wasn't holiness. It wasn't righteousness. It wasn't none of that ness. It was that Chicano instilled in me, instilled in me, that Hispanic instilled in me, ugly pride. Isn't that amazing? That pushed me into my walk with God. Of faith. God can use anything, man. And I am so grateful for that. Because once, it was weird, once I walked into that step of faith and started doing things what God really wanted me to do, and I looked back, the fears that I had, the insecurities that I thought, the, I thought if I did this, how can I take care of my family? How can I do this? How can I do anything? I'm, and then we have to get real, real, get real holy. If I can't take care of my family, I'm worse than an infidel. Shut up. That's an excuse. You're a coward. So I'm because I try to use it. Don't work. So I go, I get pushed into it. And I, and I look back and God took care of me better than I took care of myself. Go figure. But, but our system, the way we bring up is at war with that. It's at war. We don't want that. We, we would rather settle. I use this rhetorically. And think, look at the picture. We would rather settle for a nine-to-five job than step out of faith to do our own business. Do you ever notice there's people like that? And the ones that settle for the nine-to-five, they probably make good money. But the ones that step out and do their own business are your daddy. They're the ones that run things. They step out. God, principle. You want, you, want, you want to be in charge? You want to run things with the Lord? Then you have to step out by faith. God's will. Anybody now? I, I have a trick question. My piano player is oh, he's coming up. Oh. Maybe I shouldn't ask now. I don't scare everybody, huh? I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to encourage you. See, our, our talk has to equal our walk. Faith and action must combine in order for God's will in our life to become a reality. So everything we read about, everything we say, the apostles, we said, the apostles could do what? This, and they laid hands on the sick and do that. Yeah, and you know why they did it? And many believers don't do it now? 
is because they've stepped out into the unknown. They walked into the deep, and it's in the deep where you see the works of the Lord, in the deep. Well, today, we have created a laity. You know what, a laity. You're the laity. Where they look to the, the pastors, and the laity just sit back and look at the pastors and the ministers, and it's almost like they're, they're coming to a reality TV show, but it's called church. And we're not called to be a reality TV show where you look at the pulpit do the work. You're supposed to be the reality. In fact, let me turn around. You're supposed to be the reality, and the pulpit is a mirage. Oh, that's pretty deep right there. See, the pulpit is a mirage. The pulpit is not where ministry happens. The pulpit, there is no, the power is not behind the pulpit. The power is in you. Those that I want to do his will. The power is there. See, but we, the enemy so slick turned it around and has placed the power on the pulpit. When the power is not on the pulpit, my friend, the power is where people are willing to do his will. The power is in you. Let's turn it back where it's supposed to be and put the power where it belongs. You're, you're the power. You're the anointing. You're the call. You are the ones. God is calling you to do his will. I want every head bowed and every eye closed.